Thank you for listening to the Murray Hills Church podcast. We're in a series right now called Anchored Spirituality. It's an emotional health series, and we're going to be looking at six different principles to help us improve our emotional and spiritual health. I hope you find this helpful, and I hope we learn something together. You know, sometimes the song right before the message preaches a better message than, than the message, and I was singing those lyrics thinking, man, that's the, that's the sermon. I, I stopped all negotiation with the God of all creation. Like, we're, we're in an emotional health series, and if you want to talk about emotional health, and how much better would our emotional health be, our spiritual health, our relational health, if we just stopped negotiating with God and did what he asked us to do? I mean, if we just, if we just, and what he's asking us to do, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in this today's message, is he's asking us to rest, and um, we just keep negotiating with him, trying to negotiate our way out of that command, and we can't negotiate our way out of that command. Um, We need it. We've got to have it. If we don't, um, it'll cost us quite a bit. I want to start uh, with a book that I just finished. I listened to this one on Audible. It's um, called The Empire of Pain, The Secret History of the Sackler Dynasty. And if you've never heard of the Sackler Dynasty or never heard of the Sackler family, you've probably heard of uh, their company. They own a little company called Purdue Pharma. And uh, if you've never heard of Purdue Pharma, then I'm almost guaranteed that everybody in this room and everybody watching online has heard of the drug that they manufacture. It's called Oxycontin. And uh, the Sackler family owns Purdue Pharma. Purdue Pharma uh, manufactures uh, Oxycontin, which is kind of what started the opioid crisis in our country. It was a drug that was marketed for chronic pain or mild pain, and it was marketed as non-addictive. So they actually marketed it as less than 1% of people who use Oxycontin get addicted to it. And I think that might have even been on the label. I can't remember. But I, like, I think that got, got through somehow that that could be part of the, that was the approved marketing materials that they could tell physicians and tell the general public that less than 1% of the people who use Oxy will get addicted to it. And, of course, we all know now that was a lie, like all of us know, because it's, it's created a major, major epidemic uh, within our country. And once the government woke up to it and the regulations woke up to it and they started cracking down on prescription opioid use, it, people switched to non-prescription opioid use, which is heroin. And uh, it's, it's affected a tremendous amount of people. I, I would say that in a room of this size, uh, I don't know that any of us have been unaffected by it. We've, we've all been affected in some way uh, by it. And this book lays a lot of the blame uh, at the feet of the Sackler family, which deservedly so. I mean, they deserve a lot. Like, it's, it's kind of one of those shocking, like... <laughs> Wow, it's, there's several moments when you're listening to it like, I can't believe they got away with it. And they largely got away with it. Like, I, you know, I mean, the lies, the, the greed, the corruption, the manipulation, the deception, like, it's just, it's shocking on many levels. But as I, as I listened to it, I kept thinking about, you know, it's, there's a lot of other circumstances that contributed to the epidemic than just 
the savvy marketing of, of a single company. Like there was the FDA involved in this, and there was kind of loose regulation, loose oversight over it. Uh, there were uh, some physicians that even once they discovered that it was addictive or once they discovered people were abusing it, there were some physicians that continued to prescribe it. There was um, big pharma marketing and big pharma kind of cozy with regulators or cozy with federal judges or politicians that just kind of looked the other way. But there was also a general public that was that was hurting. I mean, there was, if you want to think about it, like, like the drug just came along right at the right time because we didn't want to feel any pain anymore. And we, we weren't just talking about physical pain. We were talking about emotional pain. And I know sometimes it's very difficult to tell the difference between physical pain and emotional pain because they manifest themselves in similar ways. Like emotional pain can manifest itself in physical ways. You can feel emotional pain in your body. And, of course, anybody who's dealt with chronic pain knows that chronic pain leads to emotional pain. So it's kind of like there's, there's this blurred line between those things. But if you'll think about what happened with Oxycontin or really any numbing behavior, but a lot of times we start taking it to deal with our physical pain, but we keep taking it or we start abusing it to deal with our emotional pain. And that's any, any numbing behavior. It, I mean, it, that's, you know, if we're going to talk about alcohol use or, or non-prescription drug use, any kind of, any kind of use, we, we start, if you think, you know, a lot of times that's how addiction begins. Not always, but a lot of times that's how it begins is it's self-medication. And, and we, we self-medicate because it works. I mean, like it does numb the pain, and that's why we start taking it is to numb that pain in some way. It's whether it's trauma, whether it's crisis we've dealt with, uh, whether it's relational pain that we're dealing with, or we're just completely overwhelmed and stressed in our lives. We, we drink that, we take that in order to numb the pain, and it does work. I mean, it, it works for a little while. Uh, I say for a little while because it, it begins to destroy more and more of our life, and, and we all understand that if we don't stop, it will take everything from us. There's usually, once you get going down that path, there's, you either get better. I mean, it, it, it'll cost you everything. It'll cost you family. It'll cost you freedom. It'll cost you physical health. It, it could even cost you your life. And so we know that, that that's the reality when it comes to to the drug use or it comes to alcohol use, we know that's the reality. And that's why, you know, there's, there's all kind of treatment options and there's all kind of recovery options and, and places that people can go to get help because we, we need to recover from, we know that we need to recover from this in order to be healthy uh, as an individual. And I'm not just talking about physical health, but spiritual health, emotional health, all those things. But there's other numbing behavior. There's other quote-unquote painkillers that we take that are much more socially acceptable. For example, um, screen time is a numbing behavior for a lot of us. Like, as long as I'm scrolling, I don't have to think. So when I start feeling things that I don't want to feel, or I start dealing, there's some crisis or something I'm dealing with, if I just keep scrolling, the longer I can keep scrolling, the more I just go through, the, the, then I don't have to feel while I'm scrolling. Or if I will binge watch uh, Netflix, and I can deal with their drama on the TV screen, then I don't have to deal with the drama in my own life. And that's a much, much more socially acceptable way of, of numbing things. 
um, overeating. I mean, it's, it, all of us can say, yes, I eat when I'm not hungry. And sometimes we even own it. As we're going to the pantry, we're like, I'm just stress eating right now. This is just emotional eating. I just, I just, I got to have, I mean, we know, we kind of even joke about it and laugh about it because it's a very sociable, acceptable way. Like there's no recovery centers for that. It's like you're going to have to go to recovery center to get some help with screen time. Or you're going to have to go to recovery center and get some help with, with your eating problem. There's not a lot of options like that out there. Well, what we're talking about in today's message is another form of numbing behavior that's not just socially acceptable, it's socially applauded. Like the people who engage in this numbing behavior are the folks we write books about. They're the folks we give awards to. They're the folks we, we, we lavish with accolades and achievement, and we're impressed. It's, it, they're the folks we want to emulate. And that's what makes it particularly dangerous. And I'm talking about overwork. And I'm not talking about like, yeah, I had to stay late at the office, you know, this week, or we had to work a couple, you know, got a busy month, and I've had to do a little extra work. I'm, I'm talking about chronic overwork, and I think you all know what I'm talking about. I'm talking like, like not being able to quit, just completely throwing yourself into a job and just not being able to stop. And it's become very, very difficult, I think, with everybody, you know, the pandemic sent us home to work, which was great. I get a lot done when I'm uh, home at work, but I also, the, the line's really blurry between when, th- when does that end? And sometimes it doesn't end until I fall asleep with the laptop open. And it's like, you know, it, if you think about it, sometimes that is a numbing behavior, or a lot of times that is a numbing behavior. We throw ourselves in our work because we don't want to deal with our marriage. Um, we don't want to deal with our kids. We don't want to deal with the drama and the situations that they're going through. We don't want to feel our feelings. We're just, we're stressed and exhausted, so we throw ourselves deeper into the very thing causing our stress, which is a crazy cycle if you think about it, but it's, we, we'll do that. You know, we become so overwhelmed with work, it's like, well, I can't stop working because I've got so much to do, and I've got to get this done, and so we throw ourselves deeper into our work, and it just continues to cause more and more stress and overwork, and we're afraid to slow down because we're afraid of what might happen if we slow down. If we slow down, we might miss out on the promotion. If we slow down, we might not make as much money this year as we made last year. If we slow down, we might disappoint somebody or somebody might, you know, we might feel like we've missed some kind of opportunity. It's why, and I want to read this part because I want to make sure I, I say this right. It's why there's an epidemic in our country right now of high-flying leaders whose outer life is incredibly successful. The balance sheet is strong, the company is growing, the career is taking off, but their inner life is dying. They're drinking too much, popping pills, rolling through relationships, alienating children, neglecting physical health, and eventually the inner life catches up with the outer life. It always does. And when it does, it's usually not pretty. Every week it feels like there's some story of a, of a prominent CEO or a prominent pastor, a, a prominent leader or celebrity or something whose life crashes and burns at the height of their career. And um, even more tragic are the stories that we, we celebrate their market success, we celebrate their career success while their personal lives are unraveling. 
And if, if you read any of those, I, I read a, a lot of biographies, and I'm always fascinated by, you know, like if you read Elon Musk's biography or, or Jeff Bezos's or uh, Steve Jobs, I mean, it's, it, it, they're incredible. They're geniuses. I mean, it's like they're incredible stories, but Steve Jobs' biography reads like a tragedy. Like it's, I mean, he's an incredible genius, and I mean, created an incredible company. He changed all our lives. We could argue for the better or worse, but he changed all our lives. So, I mean, he created this incredible company, he had incredible wealth, and he was a workaholic. He couldn't stop, and he burned through some very significant relationships in his life. And like you read at the end of the story, it's like this is kind of a tragic story in a lot of ways. It's it, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? And lose his soul. Or to put a slightly different twist on Jesus' words, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his family? Is that a win? Culturally, it is. I mean, that, that's what I'm saying about this. Like this numbing behavior of overworking, we reward it. You will be rewarded financially for engaging in that. But you may lose your family in the process. You'll, you'll be rewarded with all kinds of accolades and people applauding you and going, man, I wish I could be more like that. But you may lose your health in the process. It's why uh, rest is so important. And it's why God actually commanded us to rest. We, we don't really think about rest that way. We think about rest as something, well, I ought to do it. Maybe, you know, I should. You know, I, I know I need to slow down. I know I need to stop working. I know I need to set some boundaries. I know. But we don't really think of that as violating God's commands. But God actually commanded his people to rest in the Ten Commandments. That's one of the Ten Commandments. You ever thought about that? Like everybody, if I was to say, how many of us follow the Ten Commandments? Oh, I follow the Ten Commandments. How many of us believe all ten of them are important? Oh, absolutely. I, I believe they're important. And, and we, you know, that's, yes, honor your father and mother and shall not steal and shall not commit adultery. And those don't take the Lord's name in vain. Those are all, yes, those are all very important. But the Fourth Commandment, we pretty much ignore. Like that, it's acceptable to ignore the Fourth Commandment. And the Fourth Commandment's the commandment to rest. It's the Old Testament concept of a Sabbath. I want to read it to you real quick. It's Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And this is, this is God writing, this is in the law of Moses, God writing to the people of Israel. So put this in context here. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons and daughters, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so God, in this commandment, God is commanding his people to take a Sabbath, which I'm not going to get into all the you know, Old New Testament nuances there about should we be observing the Sabbath today. I, I almost want to talk about the principle of rest. God commanded his people to take a day of rest. God himself took a day of rest. That ought to be case closed. Okay, that ought to be enough. If God needs to rest, then what makes us think we don't? You know, I, I'm more important than God. The company can't do without me. They got, I, I've got to answer these. You know, I, what makes us more important than God? But God told his people to take a rest. And I, I think there's reasons why he told his people to take a rest. If you'll notice, in the, when you understand the Sabbath, the rest is connected to focus. And it's connected to priority. So God didn't just command his people to take a rest. It wasn't like, go take a nap. It was, 
rest and refocus on the things that are most important to you. Because at the end of the day, all of us would say faith and family are way more important than our work. Everybody would say that. Faith and family is way more important than our work. But we, that's not the way our lives play out. That's not the way our, our activities betray ourselves. You know, I mean, the, the, you, we would say faith and family is absolutely most important to me. But we're spending way more time on work than we are faith and family. So God actually commands his people to take a rest. Like, slow down, take a rest, take a break, and refocus on what is important to you. Get, get focused back on what is important to you. And this is a principle throughout uh, the scriptures. This is in the law of Moses. I found uh, verses in the Psalms about rest. I found verses in the Proverbs about rest. I found verses in the Gospels about it. I found the epistles. And, you know, where God talks about rest and refocus, rest and refocus. And I thought, we could just kind of go through all those this morning. We could just go through all the passages. And uh, I decided not to do that because I found one that settles it for me. It's Mark chapter 6. I want you to throw that one up for me. Mark chapter 6, verse 31 through 32. And this is Jesus uh, talking. Well, it's, it's Mark telling the story, but this is uh, Jesus saying to him. He says, because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. And Jesus speaking to his disciples, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. This is just one example of Jesus He's not only going to get rest himself here, but he's inviting them to rest. But it's just one example of Jesus going to get rest. Jesus did this several times throughout his ministry where it would say that Jesus withdrew by himself to a solitary place to rest and to refocus. And the reason I say that this little passage right here solves it is because if the Savior of the world needs rest, then we need rest (laughs) because we're not the Savior. And even if we were the Savior, we'd still need rest. So, I mean, it's like that's, that passage right there kind of solves it for me. And, it, and I treat it as like an invitation. Jesus is saying this to his disciples, but maybe that's what he's saying to us as well, is just come with me by yourself and get some rest. There's, there's two important things in that passage. There's, a, there's an invitation to rest, but who's the rest? It's come with me. Come with me and get some rest. The other reason I didn't want to go through all of the, the passages in the Bible about it is because I think all of us kind of intuitively know this. It's like this message today is not telling you anything new like, oh, wow, I didn't know it. Rest. Oh, wow, I, I never knew that. Um, it, it's just reminding us of something we already know is important, but we tend to neglect in our lives. And I wanted you to, to hear a story about that. When I started this emotional health series and I laid out the, the topics we were going to talk about, um, one of the guys I thought about because we had lunch over at Taco Express and he was telling me his story was Andy Lawrence. And I reached out to him and said, Andy, would you mind just sharing your story with the church about um, how you got to the, dis- the point that you got where you are now? And um, he said, yeah. He said he'd be willing to do it. So we videoed that, and I want you to just hear it because I think his story, Ebony, I didn't, you didn't know we were even talking about this, but Ebony was talking about testimony and how testimony preaches. You know, we love to hear each other's story. This story preaches, so I want you to hear it. This is about 10 minutes, but let's watch this together. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, really excited to, uh, to hear this series on uh, emotional health, emotional well-being. Uh, you know, I, I've spent um, my entire career 
uh, working in mental health care, uh, helping a lot of people um, with their emotional health. And, uh, you know, when I was, I was talking to Russ and uh, I started thinking about over the past year, a little over a year, uh, I actually had to do a lot of work on my own emotional health. And uh, I, I thought I would just kind of share a little bit what the, what the past year, year and a half has been like for me and my family. So th at the end of this month, it will be 20 years that Aaron and I have lived in Tennessee. You know, over the course of those years, uh, I really started kind of checking the boxes of things that are supposedly there to make us feel successful. Um, had a great wife, uh, three great kids came along, uh, and the career started to grow. Uh, and through the course of that career growth, I was really able to uh, do the things that I loved. Uh, which doesn't happen for a lot of people, and I, I'm grateful for that. But I was also able to, to help people, or feel like I was helping people, uh, which has kind of always been something I felt called to do. About 15 years into that career, um, I was approached with an opportunity to uh, take on a new role. Uh, it would entail leaving the organization that I had always worked for, and uh, taking a new, a new role up in Franklin. Uh, so. You know, I did what I always did. I came home, I talked with Aaron, we prayed about it, talked with, with friends, um, and ultimately decided that it was, it was a good move. Uh, so I jumped in and about 2018, uh, made the move up there. And uh, prior to taking on this role, I talked, had long talks with Aaron and explained to her, uh, you know, probably six months, it's, it's gonna take uh, a lot of my time. It's gonna take a lot of my focus. Uh, before I really get comfortable in the role. That had been my previous experience anytime there was a, a job change. And what I found is those six months blew by and the days kept getting longer and longer and longer. And it was more weekends. And it wasn't just busy when I was at work. It was busy when I was at home too. Uh, home life is something that I had historically been pretty protective of. In, in subtle ways, it started showing up that the job was taking too much. You know, it was missing a band concert, it was missing a golf match, um, all of those things to the point that it became the expectation for my kids uh, that dad just wasn't probably not going to be there. Uh, and that's uh, something that, that was new to me. Uh, I've always tried to be involved with things that are going on with the kids, be present at home, uh, and I really wasn't able to do that anymore. You know, we had a, we had a pool put in at the house uh, a couple of years ago. And the first summer that the pool was in at the house, uh, I was able to get in it twice. Every other time, we would have a family day planned, hang out in the pool, and dad would get a call that ended up, instead of being five minutes, it lasted an hour. Uh, so by the time dad was ready to swim, everybody else was done. That's a lot of weight. It's, it's a lot of guilt, um, and I was feeling all of it. Uh, the work was harder and unlike anything I had ever done before. And then COVID came. Uh, to all of my fellow healthcare workers, hats off to you. It's hard work on the best day, and COVID is certainly not the best day. In the summer of 2020, we had plans to go out of state for, for vacation. Uh, those plans got changed because of COVID. So we rented a house on the lake uh, and invited my parents to come. And I can remember sitting outside with my dad one day uh, even through vacation, the phone kept ringing every day, every day. My dad, who is uh, one of the wisest people I've ever met, he looked at me after I took taken my third or fourth phone call, 
And he just said, buddy, said, you're looking old. And I said, well, thanks. And he said, no, he said, this job, he said, it's not good for you. Uh, so that was in July of 2020. And over the course of the next several months, uh, work was getting to the point, uh, I felt more and more pressure uh, every day. It was more and more pressure. Uh, I was no longer sleeping well. I was certainly not present at home. Uh, I felt like I was checking all of the boxes that were not successful. I was not a great husband. I was not a good dad. I was uh, not a great Christian. Uh, I was an elder at this church, and I had to make the decision to step away from that for a while. And uh, I felt like this, this job was taking all of the things from me that I wasn't willing to give up. For the last couple of months uh, of, of 2020, uh, on my drives into work in the morning, uh, if I was not actively talking to someone on the phone in the car, uh, I was crying in the car, uh, which is totally out of character for me. Uh, I uh, usually don't display my emotions quite so much, um, but it was, it was brutal. You know, I frequently would talk to my sister on the phone in the mornings, and uh, she would even tell me, she said, you, you sound miserable. Uh, family's good at that. They'll, they'll tell you exactly like it is. And then, uh, in December of 2020, uh, I was driving to work one day, and I stopped and got a, a Diet Coke and a pack of mints, and I put a mint in my mouth, and I could not taste it. And I took a drink of the Coke, and I could not taste it. I called our infection control nurse, and she said, no, you have to go get, get tested for COVID. Uh, my whole family got COVID. Um, I try in, in every aspect of my life to try to find a kind of silver lining in, in every situation. Uh, sometimes it's hard. Uh, looking back, uh, COVID was the thing that forced me to stay home from work. Uh, the phone calls still came, but it was to the point, uh, my whole family, we spent a lot of time together. Uh, and that's something I had not been present for two and a half years. One day, uh, while we, when we were starting to feel a little better, uh, Jackson and I played cards. We played a lot of cards and we watched a lot of TV during that time. Uh, Jackson and I were, were playing cards at the table and he just offhandedly said, you know, you only have two years left with me. And I, I thought, that can't be right, uh, but it was. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Jackson's plan is to go into the military after high school. Uh, so he was absolutely right. And I finished the, the game of cards and I went to the bedroom and I sat on the bed and I literally sobbed uh, because I have two years left with this kid and I'm missing all of it. My wife is the most supportive person that I could ever imagine. She talked with me, she prayed with me. Uh, at the end of that conversation, I told her this has to stop. So I made the decision to resign. That was a hard decision because I was resigning from a job even though I hated it and it wasn't, it wasn't healthy for me. I had no idea what I was gonna do next. That can cause some anxiety a little bit, uh, but I knew that I couldn't keep doing this. Um, so I made the decision, uh, I let, let my employer know that I was, I was gonna resign. Um, and things were very contentious when I returned back to work. Uh, it wasn't, um, wasn't a very pleasant experience. 
uh, since they knew that I was, I was leaving. On New Year's Eve, I had gone to work that day, and I already had my things from my office in a box, and I just carried them out to the car that day. And when I sat down, I, I made the decision, I'm, I'm not coming back to do this anymore. Um, it, it was to the point, uh, I just, I physically couldn't make myself go back. I informed uh, my employer that I would not be returning, but on my way home that day, I got a call from an old coworker of mine and uh, who works uh, with the state now. And she told me, she said, hey, she said, you got a minute? I said, yeah. She said, I, I want you to come work with me. Um, and that's what happened. Uh, I was able to return to doing work that I love and, and getting help out to people that really are, are in need of assistance and it's meaningful work and that's that's what i'm was super excited about i get to work with the most amazing team every day and and really uh, get back to enjoying work because there's a balance there uh, at the end of the day um, i'm present at home i'm not exhausted i'm not stressed to the point that i can't focus anymore you know through through that whole process of of leaving and and it was a few months of me not being employed you know aaron, aaron kept telling me uh, she said, I, I'm at peace with this. She said, the word trust keeps coming in my mind. And that's what we did. We had to, to trust that God had a better plan. Uh, and certainly that was the case. Uh, but it, it took getting to a point of just being completely broken uh, and recognizing that it's okay to not keep climbing that ladder, to not keep striving for more. Uh, it's okay to be content with where we are in life. And... Uh, Keep those priorities in check. I, I, I love the story. I wish there's, there's so much there um, that what immediately jumped out at me as I was watching it today, this is about the third time that I've seen that video, was a lot, listen to your family. Because a lot of times um, when it comes to an issue like this, it's a blind spot for us and we can't see it for ourselves because we're in the whirlwind, you know, we're just in the whirlwind doing all the work, take care of all these things, and, and, and folks are cheering us on, you know, that's the thing, folks are cheering us on, and like, go, 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 you're so, this is great, um, but a lot of times our family can see that blind spot, and I love, you know, I his dad called him out on it, and his sister called him out on it, and it took a while before he finally said, okay, maybe they're, maybe they're onto something, um, but then the other piece of that was the negotiation that had to have taken place, in his mind and his heart as he wrestles with this is like what do I, I know what I need to do at a point at a point it comes to I know what I need to do but the negotiation that just goes on and we've been you know what I'm talking about we've all been in those negotiations when we finally come to a realization of I know what I need to do but it's scary to me to do it and um, it, and it may not look like quitting your job I, I didn't show you that so everybody go out and quit their job tomorrow that you know that may cause additional anxiety and stress and that creates a whole nother set of problems but it may just look like I know I need to slow down and I know I need to be with my family more, but I'm scared to do that. Um, and it, so it may look like just setting a boundary. Uh, it may look like taking a, an extra long weekend. It may look like actually taking your vacation days. Some people don't do that. It may look like uh, 
turning the phone off at a certain time or putting do not disturb on at a certain time on the phone. So your family could still get through to you if they need you, but the other folks couldn't get through to you. It may look like turning off the email. I don't know what it, you know, you know what it looks like for your life, but it's just a challenge for us to do it. Um, the invitation of Jesus, throw that one back up for me, Tommy, if you don't mind, that, that Jesus said, come with me. No, the, you, were, you were there. That uh, third, Yeah, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Maybe, maybe Jesus is offering that to, then to more than just his disciples, that it's an invitation to us. Because at another point, he issued a more broader invitation like that that you're probably familiar with where he said, come to me, all who are weary and brokenhearted, and I'll give you what? I'll give you rest. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, I, d- I don't know... Um, I don't know who needs to hear this message today and, and who needs to be encouraged to just take some more rest, but uh, I'm praying we heard it. And, and I use we because I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody this morning. Um, I pray you help us to do that. Which there, there's a lot of fear involved with us stepping back because well, we're, just, we're afraid we're going to miss something or we're afraid somebody's going to be disappointed in us or, you know, a lot of times, God, we will, we will make the choice to disappoint our family over disappointing our employer and, uh, or make the disappointing our family over disappointing a coworker. And uh, that's not right. And I, I pray you help us to reset our priorities, help us to refocus on the things that are most important in our lives, and that is you and, and your, our faith and it's also our families and the relationships that are most important to us. So, Father, I pray you help us to do that, to have the courage to know when to say no and the courage to set boundaries and um, the courage to quit climbing the ladder or to say I don't have to have more. I can be content with the things that you've given me. I can be content with where I'm at uh, now. So I pray you help us to do that, Father. Help all of us as we walk through this journey of life together and uh, help us support one another along the way, and we ask for your support, that you continue to guide us through your word, and that we continue to lean on your word and the Holy Spirit. That's in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Uh, Next Sunday, well, let me, I'm supposed to mention the offering, I'm terrible about that. that as you leave today, you can give. There's, there's collection boxes around the room, or that's the, the way you can give electronically. Uh, next Sunday, Amy Albert's going to be bringing our message uh, because she's doing the one I don't want to talk about. Uh, and because we're going to talk about things we don't want to talk about. It's called Courageous Candor and how, why we need to say the unsaid, why we sometimes need to have the difficult conversation or to say, wait a minute, can, can we talk? This is something's not right here and we need to talk about it. I'm, I'm not good at that because I'm very conflict avoidance type personality. So, um, so I asked Amy if she would preach that one for me and she's going to do that one. I, she's going to do a great job. I'm looking forward to it. I'll be here to hear that message. Uh, the other thing I want to mention was the Kentucky Relief Team. Uh, that was Saturday. They went up and I think it was 34 was the high yesterday, but they spent all day uh, yesterday working in Benton, Kentucky and they put together uh, two temporary structures and cleaned out some uh, fence lines and all that kind of stuff. So we're very thankful for them and the work that they did uh, yesterday. So I just wanted to, wanted to recognize them for what they had done. Um, hope you have a great rest of the day. Hope you'll be back with us next week. Those of you online, uh, hope to see you next week as well. So thanks for being here today.